Welcome to Technovation, a weekly conversation with people who are shaping the technology landscape. I'm Peter High, president of MetaStrategy, advisor to technology executives, Forbes columnist, book author, and your host. Each episode of Technovation features insights from top executives and thought leaders at the intersection of business, technology, and innovation. If you like what you hear, we'd be grateful if you give us a rating on iTunes or through whatever other source you use for podcasts. And please subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thank you. My guest today is Sridhar Ramaswamy. Sridhar is the co-founder of Neva, an ad-free subscription-based search engine created to give users a choice in how they search and experience the internet, as well as a venture partner at Greylock Partners, a leading Silicon Valley venture capital firm. Prior to founding Neva, Sridhar was the Senior Vice President of Ads and Commerce at Google, where he spent over 15 years. In this interview, we discuss some of the tough questions and interesting business challenges Sridhar faced during his time at Google, the consequences of a growth-at-all-cost mentality, and Sridhar's take on the Justice Department's antitrust lawsuit facing Google. We discuss Sridhar's experience at Greylock and why he joined the firm as an investor, the genesis story of Neva, and why he felt the time was right to leave Google and start the company. Lastly, we discuss the importance of having a great co-founder when starting a company, why a customer-first model lends itself much better to monetizing content on the web, and a variety of other topics. This interview features insights from my upcoming book, Getting to Nimble, How to Transform Your Company into a Digital Leader. It's available now for pre-order on Amazon or through gettingtonimble.com. Stick around after the interview to learn more. Sridhar Ramaswamy, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Hi, Peter. Very excited to be here. Very excited to talk to you. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm, I am as well. Well, uh, Sridhar, you have had a uh, remarkable uh, career in technology, uh, working at some of the uh, stalwarts of the tech sector, from Bell Labs and Lucent Technologies, uh, through a long and illustrious uh, time at Google. You've been an in- investor in, ve- in, in the venture space at Greylock Partners, actually a, a role you still spend some time with, as well as now being the the uh, co-founder of Neva. And would love to get into a, a bit of several of those anyway. I thought we would begin uh, with your time at Google, you spent uh, just shy of 16 years there, and I can only imagine the amount of growth that you experienced personally, but also the growth you saw in the company and its influence uh, during that more than a decade and a half with the organization, concluding as the uh, senior vice president of ads and commerce, and, and therefore putting you squarely uh, I- as an influencer of, of some of the crown jewels of the company. Can you talk a bit about, um, reflect, especially perhaps in that last post, as it will be something we'll return to with some of the insights you've put to your new venture, um, talk a bit about your nearly six years as SVP of ads and commerce and Google and some of what you learned across that period. Yeah. Um, I'll start with like a funny little story. Um, (laughs) I joined as an individual contributor, a software engineer, as it were, at Google, and uh, I was sent to the ads team because my first boss, Mike Frumkin, found the word database in my resume. So I joked to people that the advanced AI that had me working on ads pretty much for my entire career was the presence of the word database <laughs> in my resume, um, uh, which is, which, you know, it's a little funny. Um, the role as SVP of ads and commerce uh, which I uh, initially shared with Susan and then sort of was the sole leader after she moved on to head um, YouTube. Uh, it was a pretty amazing time. Um, you, you know, of course, had a huge responsibility 
um, in leading a business that was critical to the success of a company that was approaching a trillion dollars in market cap, um, but also a company that had enormous amounts of impact across the entire digital ecosystem, as it were. Um, Google Ads, as you likely know, power much of internet advertising as well. And it's a pretty unique role, um, you know, powering search ads, ads on YouTube, and also ads on the rest of the um, rest of the internet. And of course, this has both good sides and bad sides, and I have um, talked about it. I think one thing that stands out, especially in retrospect, is the awesome responsibility that comes um, in a position like that. Um, and it is something that we all took uh, um, very, very seriously um, and tried to, uh, you know, try to address them in a thoughtful manner. By this, I mean everything from the Russian disinformation campaign in 2016 um, to, you know, various election advertising-related controversies that regularly uh, rose throughout the globe. Um, but also just uh, simple ethical questions around things like, when is it not okay um, to carry ads, say, for you know, rehab clinics that were not always of the highest merit, let's say. Um, so lots of tough questions, um, lots of really interesting business challenges, lots of positive impact on the world, but also a growing realization um, towards the end of my career um, that, uh, you know, that there were issues with ad-supported models um, that could not be fixed from within, so to say. Um, and so in many ways, that was also the beginning of my journey outside of Google. It's interesting, so, uh, lingering uh, just a moment longer on your time at Google, you were also, that that puts you squarely in the area that uh, provided the lion's share of revenue for the organization, which allowed it to do, Google in many ways, of course, it is most famous as, as a search engine, uh, needless to say, but it has burnished his credential as an innovator by leveraging a lot of what you did uh, uh, and what you led towards all sorts of moonshots opportunities, uh, you know, everything from uh, driverless cars to a variety of startups in the security space and other areas. Um, and I, I'm, I'm curious, as, um, as someone who was responsible for enabling so much, so many of the other things that Google, Google did, what that relationship was like between sort of the, the heart from a revenue perspective, the, the heart of the organization, and the ability then to leverage the capital from that in a variety of creative and innovative ways. I mean, at one level, we in the ads team saw it as our um, responsibility to create a great product. We are part of a great product search uh, and we very much consider ourselves to be an integral part of it. Um, I used to joke to people that it was harder to get through um, like an ads UI review for a new feature than it was to ask the same question of the search team because we were really proud of what we, um, of, of what we shipped. Um, and we spent less time, honestly, worrying about sort of what um, Google or Larry or Sundar, so to say, um, did with the money that was made off of uh, the ads team. Um, you know, of course, it was their uh, it was their prerogative, um, and um, the ads team in general had its fair share, like the search team, of the amazing people that came to Google. Um, and uh, you know, this was a 
Um, this was a well-staffed team that felt ready to take on problems. Um, and so there was a little bit less of a, oh, look at what is, um, you know, what is Google doing with the money that the ads team is creating and more of, you know, we need to, we need to take care of uh, um, business. And I think that's, that's largely a, um, that's a positive thing. The one thing that I will add about this sense of responsibility um, is that um, without natural limits, it is hard to, um, you know, come to a point where you say enough is enough. Um, let me explain that. Um, let's say you're selling a product. There will come a time when there are no more buyers for the product, or you can grow it at 2%, roughly what, say, like, you know, the GDP of the country goes, um, grows, but no more. Um, and that is natural for most products. I think Google is remarkable, especially search ads is remarkable in its ability to maintain growth over an exceptionally long period of time. Most companies would not dream about growing at 15, 20% when they are at a volume of $100 billion. That's just not a thing that most people can comprehend. Um, but uh, part of my, especially my post-Google realization is that it came with a cost meaning that ads were taking up more and more space um, on the search results page. And it was slowly but surely degrading the search experience overall. Um, but to me, this is a natural consequence of our growth at all costs mentality. The team is designed to think of growing revenue as one of its key responsibilities. Um, and yes, you always want to do that with product innovation um, and they continue to do that. But it also comes at things like, okay, more space being taken up by, by ads. And to a certain extent, it becomes like a natural consequence of the principles that, you know, that, that, that you kind of set up. Yeah, it's interesting. And uh, of course, um, uh, as you well know, the Justice Department has filed an antitrust lawsuit against Google, um, alleging the company has unlawfully maintained a monopoly uh, in search by cutting off rivals from key distribution channels. And um, I'm curious if you have like a, a quick reaction to some of what you've read. Obviously, you're no longer a member of the company. Uh, any sort of thoughts or reactions? It's interesting as, as one thinks about the action the government might take against, you know, the FANG companies. Uh, there were many at least uh, six or 12 months ago as a lot of the CEOs of those very companies were making their way to Washington and testifying before Congress that Google was perhaps one of the safer um, bets uh, as, as being either later for action or, or, or not taking action as all, at all. The justification of Amazon being separated in their B2B and B2C parts of their companies, the, the fact that Apple has so much influence uh, through its curation um, uh, at the App Store, for example, and influencing what people buy, et cetera. And then, of course, uh, some of the actions that now have become front and center from a Facebook perspective. Uh, but Google, was, as it turns out, was the first of, of, of those organizations for, for action to be taken. Any sort of initial thoughts or reactions? Yeah. The first reaction is that, you know, it is not okay for a monopoly to take actions that would be considered perfectly legitimate for a different company, you know, for a regular company to take. That's sort of how business and antitrust law operate. By the way, I should also confess, and I'm hardly an expert in this area, you know, though I am like everybody else trying to learn more, um, you know, more about it. Um, I think that's a hard realization for people to understand. Um, as a business, it's perfectly fine for you to say, I am going to do business with you, but not with you. Or I'm going to give you some extra money for this business that we are doing. 
All of that is considered perfectly legitimate. I think what is interesting about the Justice Department's position is it's actually very simple. Um, it's just saying um, the practice of maintaining defaults uh, at a juncture when Google search can be considered a monopoly is not okay. Um, and uh, you know, in my mind, this is a this is a relatively simple case. Um, and uh, one of the excuses, and I was very much a part of making excuses like this, that a lot of tech companies make um, about defaults, about options that people can set, is that they say, "Oh, it's easy. Users just have to select that option." But the fact of the matter is that defaults matter. The vast majority of people never look at their options and never change their options. So one has to assume that what is default is also de jure in some way. That's how things are going to be. Um, and uh, so questioning whether it's okay to maintain the default position by paying a lot of money, I think it's a fair question to ask. And I think it'll sort of this same question, by the way, um, will arise in many other different places. There are many companies that claim it's easy to move away from their services. Um, except that one has to jump through so many hoops that it's not possible. Um, or uh, I don't know how many times you have set privacy options um, on different websites. I have on dozens of sites. Um, it doesn't actually work. It takes an enormous amount of time and energy to do these things. Mm -hmm. So I think the question of, you know, are defaults, um, especially when accompanied by monetary rewards, um, a way of maintaining a monopoly position I think that's a fair question to ask. Well, I want to I want to move past your time at Google. Uh, in late 2018, you left the company, as I mentioned, after uh, more than a decade and a half with it, and joined the venture realm, uh, joining Greylock, an illustrious and an old, uh, by venture standards, old organization that has uh, um, had a history of making tremendous in investments in some of the technologies that that shape our world. Um, talk a bit about that pivot. From uh, from Google to venture investing and what you were seeking uh, in in making that pivot. You know, many of my happiest moments at uh, Google before that um, were really at the inception stage of projects. Um, you know, when you're working with a small team, um, visualizing something that looks hard, perhaps even impossible, and saying we can do it. Um, to me, that time period. Um, is uh, incredibly creative, often very scary because you're not sure that things will work out. Um, and one of my goals after leaving Google um, was to work in situations like that, um, where you are working with small teams, where you're interacting heavily um, and uh, learning about how it was done. I was well aware of the fact that I had been with a very large company, Google, for 15 years and that the world had changed a lot. Um, I wasn't quite sure about whether I wanted to start a company or become an investor. Um, and, uh, you know, Greylock was very happy um, to accommodate me sort of in my dual mindset, so to say. And obviously, I got to see and learn from some of the best investors on the planet, many of whom have been on your show, um, people like Reed, uh, Reed Hoffman and Ashin Channa and Sarah Guo. Um, and I learned a lot about what the startup ecosystem was like, um, where the interesting areas were. Um, I'm especially interested in enterprise software companies. We are seeing a little bit of a Cambrian explosion 
um, in these kinds of companies driven by the growth of uh, driven by the growth of cloud. Um, and it's been a uh, an enormously learning experience. Um, I've made one uh, Series A investment as uh, as as a Greylock venture partner. Um, it's in the privacy plus machine learning space, uh, an area that I'm pretty passionate about. Um, but it's overall been an incredible experience to watch from up close uh, one of the most innovative venture firms on the planet ever. Yeah, and. Uh... Talk a bit about how, uh, as I mentioned at the outset, uh, what will be apparent to our listeners is you have elected to go uh, the entrepreneurial route, and I, I want to get into the, the deeper details of that, needless to say. Talk a bit about, though, the interregnum between the founding of that company and, and, and your departure from Google. Obviously, it's in reverse, reverse order in terms of the chronology. Uh, and what you learned uh, that helped you gain confidence that this was the right path uh, through your experience at Greylock? Yeah. Um, so like late 2018, early 2019 um, was a period of discovery. Where I met a lot of startups, um, you know, uh, wrote endless documents about various investments that we had made and passed on. Um, and, you know, there's there's a lot of pattern matching that you have to go through with actual examples and asking people, why did you invest in company A and pass on company B? Um, and at what point did you realize that you were going to regret not making an investment? Um, so you learn a lot about, you know, what drives companies, what the core innovation cycle, uh, innovation and product cycle is like. Um, there was also a simultaneous period of just reflection um, about what kind of company I would want to create. Um, and there was also very much a sense of, um, you know, a job unfinished, so to say, um, after having worked on search and search ads for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other ideas that I actively considered um, you know, one thing that I see in a lot of consumer software um, is that many services that, um, you know, all of us use, whether it is a, um, a bank or a stock trading application um, or a marketplace, um, they take finite amounts of money um, and people to create. Um, that's the great thing about software, which is after you put a certain amount of investment into it, um, the ability to scale, let's say, how many queries you can process in one second or how many users you can support um, is a lot more scalable than that initial investment. Um, and so that was the lens by which I looked at various problems. Um, and Search and Neva actually has a very similar formula, um, which is that Search is expensive to create um, uh, in terms of how many people and how much money you need to put into it. Uh, but once you are able to make enough money to invest into it, uh, supporting the rest of the planet is not that hard. Uh, in other words, if you have on the order of 20 million paying customers, um, you actually are now making enough money to power search for the whole world. Um, and so it was like a bunch of these things, along with a strong passion for this core problem of search um, and this niggling feeling that there needed to be more options, um, different outcomes um, that really steered me more um, towards Neva. Of course, Vivek, my co-founder, was a very big part of it. The opportunity to work with him, to partner with him, 
um, was also a big factor in why I decided to start um, um, start Neva. I don't know what your you know other guests who are startup founders say, um, but I have wonderful days as a startup CEO, pretty terrible days, um, where you know there's just a bunch of things that are going wrong, and you worry that you won't be able to create a viable future. And having a great co-founder is an essential element in my mind of starting a new company. And so this has been this has been absolutely wonderful journey with uh, with Vivek as we got into Neva. Well, let's 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 further get into Neva in our conversation as well, uh, Sridhar, if you don't mind. Uh, so, talk a bit about the company and what you see as the unaddressed need, or what you saw, I should say, the genesis of the company uh, as an unaddressed need, um, especially since, of course, you were so intimately involved in the 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 um, unquestioned leader in this space. Where, where, how did you see this as an emerging opportunity? Uh, given the dominance of your old employer, so one of one interesting exercise that um, you know one should always run through when confronting problems are, especially when you want to create um, something new, is if the world were to proceed as it seems to be ordained at a particular point in time, what are natural conclusions? Um, I looked at search from this lens, the product search, uh, not just organic search. I said, if Google were to continue operating for the next five to seven years, the way it has been operating before, there are going to be more ads on the search result page. That's not exactly a brilliant observation. It's like, it's predictable history. Similarly, the other side is that organic search is going to deliver content directly from Google for more and more queries. This is again, not a profound observation because this is a process that's been going on for the better part of 10 years, um, starting with, um, as you likely remember, with things like uh, image search to Google local, uh, to various other products in travel and other places like that and flights that Google has created. Um, and to me, the logical conclusion of both of these was that some years from now, um, you're going to be in a situation where you typed in a query, you would either get a page full of ads or you would get content directly delivered by Google. To me, that was a perfectly natural conclusion. And I'm sort of over-dramatizing this. Of course, there are going to be some websites somewhere else and so on, but you get the gist of what I'm saying. And I thought that that was a pretty bad outcome for you know humanity, for some larger sense of who we are. Because here was a single company either having a commercial interest or deciding that it was going to tell you what you should know in response to a query. And we said, hey, we need to think about this problem in a foundationally different light um, and think about whether starting from different principles will let us create a fundamentally superior product. And that doesn't make it easy, um, but that's the essential genesis of Neva. Mm -hmm. that a customer-first, customer-focused search engine paid by customers will let us create a superior experience. Um, and as I said, there are hard uh, sort of underlying economics. A search engine is expensive to create. And so how you bootstrap your way into that is easily the challenge that we face. Um, but we are very bullish on this model for a number of reasons. Um, you know, One, we believe that privacy matters. Um, search is a ubiquitous function, uh, one of the most valued functions, one of the most private functions. 
There are entire books that have been written about how search engines are the ultimate truth serum. We type in whatever is in our head into a search engine. It's very unique. Um, we never reveal our inner selves on a social network. There's always this element of people watching. We present our best selves to social networks and we present our true selves to a search engine. We said, given an intimate and useful product like this, we said, we can create a better product. Um, and that's roughly where we are. Uh, and down the line, we have uh, you know, other ideas. We think that a customer first model also lends itself much better um, to monetizing content on the web. Uh, I don't think there's any question that the current ad supported sort of content ecosystem has produced a few winners um, and most other people are scrounging for money. You know, journalists, for example, are definitely independent block creators. As we grow, one of the things that we very much have in mind is this idea that a portion of our revenue needs to be shared with content creators um, in a direct way. Advertising is indirect. You get traffic from Google or you pay for traffic from Google, but monetizing the traffic is completely up to you. Um, we think of ourselves in some ways as being closer to say a Netflix model or a YouTube model where a portion of our revenue naturally goes towards supporting high quality content. So for a number of these, you know, because of a number of these ideas, we strongly felt that the moment for Neva had come, which is roughly why we started it two years ago. And being customer first also lets us focus on privacy in a way that's really hard in an ad-supported product. Our attitude with Neva is very simple. What you do with Neva is your business. We are here to create the best product for you. Mm -hmm. um, and your data should be used to make the product better for you and not be shared with anyone else. Mm -hmm. I'd love to talk about scaling both on the technology side as well as on the customer side. You mentioned a moment ago uh, what is surely true, which is the, that uh, scaling the technology to be able to ensure that uh, the results of search are uh, getting what people need most uh, is is a, is a profound challenge. Um, I, I don't know what the latest data is for Google, but uh, it has access to hundreds of trillions of pages, if I'm not mistaken, uh, through their search and um, and growing. And so, talk a bit about how you how you scale. How do you go from zero to a meaningful uh, amount of data that is provided such that the search is, is re reliable and meaningful to those people who would use it? Yeah, this is the challenge that any startup that gets into a very large ecosystem is going to face. Uh, this is the reason why it's hard to create another Google. This is the reason why it's hard to create another Amazon. Without that network of buyers and sellers, it's hard to create a great marketplace. Um, and uh, Without, without users and the data, it's hard to create a high quality search engine. Um, you know, we have a number of ideas that we use to short circuit some of this process and to give us a chance to be able to create a great product. Um, the first is um, we stand on the shoulders of giants, meaning that there are people that have solved this problem before, um, whether it is in local or whether it is in web search. So we started with them um, and uh, we have slowly but surely been building more and more of um, our own technology. Um, and of course, 
operating completely on the cloud other than the, you know, a single laptop that each employee of Neva owns. We don't own anything else that is physical. It's all completely on the cloud. Um, and, uh, you know, and it provides us with the option to, to pay as we go. We're able to amortize the cost. Um, we can be in multiple data centers without having to go, you know, rent space in these different data centers. Um, and we also bring uh, our technological prowess. We have a pretty amazing team that works at Neva. And uh, so we play off, for example, the relative costs of uh, disk storage versus flash storage versus memory storage. Um, it costs about $100, um, roughly speaking, uh, to have a gigabyte of, to rent a gigabyte of memory for a year. While if you keep that on, on a flash disk, um, that's only about $2 per year. Um, and so we bring factors like this to bootstrap the, to bootstrap the problem. And increasingly we are building more and more um, of the core web search functionality, which is the crown jewel of the entirety of the product ourselves. Um, but we wanna be measured about it. We do it vertical by vertical. Um, we rely on the Bing Web Search API uh, for some results, but as I said, we feel more and more confident that we can power uh, more of this uh, ourselves. Mm -hmm. And talk, talk about um, how you how you envision scaling on the customer side, how you are getting your first customers, how you envision this uh, expanding beyond the, those who are initially using it and so forth. The good thing is there is an enormous amount of interest in options for search. Uh, and uh, uh, these, this is data that is easily reproducible with, with, with surveys. Um, and so the number of people that are unhappy about Google search ads, for example, is in the many tens of percent. Uh, the number of people that have actually gone and tried a different option for a search engine is also in the tens of percent. You know, one of the key ingredients for a company to be successful is to be at the right place at the right time. And we feel that Neva's actually picked a very good time to take on this problem because there is so much latent interest in um, the general population as a whole when it comes to having these kinds of, uh, of options. Um, and uh, so we actually feel relatively confident that you know our organic acquisition rate, like our ability to acquire users to try Neva and become potential customers without going and spending money on advertising, should kind of be ironic for a company like Neva, is actually on the much higher side. So we've been pleasantly surprised by how many people, for example, registered on our site um, and took surveys that we um, that we created to better understand their need. Um, right after we came out of stealth. It ran into the tens of thousands and there's been you know, sustained interest. Um, so we feel confident that you know, there'll be a set of folks that are um, you know, leading the edge, so to say, of looking for options. That'll become some of Neva's early adopters. Um, and we'll try all the usual company, you know, all the usual techniques that companies like us try um, like using them as word of mouth for additional references, we build features by which people can refer their friends to um, the product. Um, and we also look at browser makers and see, is there a win-win distribution deal that we could be having with them where um, if, for example, with a browser like, uh, like a Brave or a um, Firefox, 
um, were to bring a customer to Neva, we would share a portion of our revenue with them. Um, and so this kind of, you know, these are called distribution deals and doing these will be key to the future success of Neva. But it st all starts with creating a compelling product. And we feel, again, more and more confident in our ability to create this product and sustain users um, on Neva and have them feel like we are very much creating value for them. That's excellent. Um, well, Sridhar Ramaswamy, thank you so much for taking time uh, to speak with me today about your your fascinating career from technology stalwarts uh, to the venture uh, world, uh, now to entrepreneurship and uh, the the ups and downs, uh, more ups than downs, but the, the trials and tribulations of being a founder of a business. Uh, it's, it's wonderful to learn more about your journey, and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Peter. This has been a wonderful conversation, um, and I encourage uh, you know all of your listeners to sign up for Neva, neva.co, um, and we look forward uh, to having you try the product and give us feedback. Very, very well. I'm looking forward to it, Sridhar. Thank you. This interview featured insights that you'll find in my upcoming book, Getting to Nimble, How to Transform Your Company into a Digital Leader. In an era of unprecedented technology progress and disruption, it's imperative that companies transform themselves to keep up with their digitally native competitors. In Getting to Nimble, I explore how companies, including Capital One, FedEx, CarMax, Domino's Pizza, The Washington Post, Walmart, and others, have modernized their practices related to people, processes, technology, ecosystems, and strategy. And I provide a framework for companies looking to do the same. To learn more, visit gettingtonimble.com. Thanks for tuning in. Please join me on Friday when my guest will be Steve Randish, the Chief Information Officer of FINRA.